This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. It's your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Uh, we've got a wonderful uh, author, writer, trainer, uh, fantastic show coming up for you today. We've got uh, author Victoria Shade coming on. Victoria is uh, the author of the latest book, Who Rescued Who? Uh, of course, you may know Victoria from uh, being a professional trainer and being on Animal Plans Puppy Bowl as a professional trainer. And uh, so it's going to be a good time. So we're going to pick up brain a little bit about the latest book, Who Rescued Who? And find out a little bit more about her writing and training, all that good, wonderful stuff. So everybody, hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I have two dogs, Sam and Bailey. Both are golden retrievers. Poor Sam, he was a mess. Always itching. His paws were soaking wet all day from just constant licking. He had bald spots on his back. I just don't like putting shots and steroids into your dog all the time. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Dynavite is nutrition. Probably two weeks after he started Dynavite, I started seeing great improvements and today 99% of his issues are non-existent. It's amazing stuff. Since Bailey has been 12 weeks old, he's been a Dynavite dog and he has zero issues today. He won't eat his food without Dynavite. When I get out the Dynavite, my dogs actually salivate like I'm getting them a treat. They drool over it. Dynavite is the best thing you can do for your dog. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. I get my Dynavite from D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining me now is author extraordinaire and professional trainer, Animal Planet Puppy Bowl extraordinaire, uh, Victoria Shade. Victoria, welcome to the show. Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. And the latest, you've got to, the new book out, the new novel coming out, Who Rescued Who? So tell us a, a little bit about the book and what we can expect without giving away all the good stuff. Oh, you know it. Well, it's kind of a fish-out-of-water story. So it's about a young woman who loses her job in a pretty spectacular and embarrassing fashion. And at about the same time she's kind of licking her wounds about losing that job, she discovers that she has family she didn't know about in England. And not only that, she's got an inheritance there. So she decides she's going to take a quick trip over to settle everything up. And while she's there, she literally stumbles upon this needy little puppy. And she discovers also that her her aunt and uncle, the relatives she didn't know about, they have needs of their own. So this quick trip is suddenly anything but. And then you add in a handsome British guy with a sexy accent and you have who rescued who. <laughs> Those British guys with their dang sexy accents. <laughs> Can't resist. I know. (laughs) So, tell us a little bit about the backdrop and and some of the characters, because we have the uh, the main character. We also have the the puppy is coming into play. Uh, What can we uh, expect from from them as well? So, the main character is named Elizabeth Barnes, and the puppy she discovers is called Georgina. And like all of my books, there's always a story behind the naming of the dogs, but I'll let the readers discover that. Um, We have her aunt and uncle, Rowan and Trudy. And then um, this is all set in England. It's a fictitious town called Fargrove, England. 
that I've heard people want to move to after reading about it because it's very charming. So yeah, the town is populated by really pretty amazing people, I think. So it's just this character, Elizabeth, who who's very closed off, by the way. She's very into her social media and she she lives this life online that is completely different from her real life. And while she's in England, the fish out of water aspect is not just this culture shock, but also her phone doesn't work. So she goes from being completely dependent on her social media to not having access to it. So it's this huge shock to the system for her that she has to learn to navigate. Yeah, and it's a major shift uh, because not only does she have uh, you know the relatives now to, to take care of, she's got this new puppy, but you've got the new culture, you've got, the, like you said, the new lifestyle that's coming into play, which eventually there's adjustments there. But, but uh, at first, it was really uh, hard for Elizabeth Barnes to adjust to all these things. Yeah, 100% because she's she's closed off. You know, she's used to being living this very glamorous and fabulous life online, but she doesn't have the skills really to connect to other people and not just people, to other dogs or to to animals at all really because it's not just dogs in this book. We've got some cats, we've got some sheep, very sassy sheep, and she has to figure out how to navigate this the you know, all of these creatures, human and animal, and figure out where she fits in this environment. And so she's adjusting to everything as she goes along with this. And you can imagine, it paints a great picture of, you know, for those of us that had the pleasure to go to England, or I used to work for a company out of England for many years. Mm. And uh, so it's sort of, the words you put together and how you place the the story makes it very vivid for me. It takes me right back. So I can imagine those that have been there, it brings them back to there. And those that wish they could go now, like you said, now they want to pack up and move. And uh, who wouldn't, there's a pub on every corner and uh, everybody in the village knows everybody. So, (laughs) which is good and bad. (laughs) <laughs> totally. And, and that's actually part of the story, too, is that, that there's this idea that, you know, I know your business, you look familiar, I recognize your nose, like people recognize her familial nose. That's how close knit this community is. So and, you know, it's all based on, well, partially based on my time in England. I spent a semester there, which was just such a highlight of my life and fell in love at that stage became a complete Anglophile, you know, love everything about it, have been back several times since. So it's, this book is my love letter to dogs and also my love letter to England. There you go. There you go. Well, I know my friends and colleagues in England, it's sort of an ongoing story. Those of us are here in the States, we uh, want to move to England and have the accent and uh, they want to move here because there's so much to do and see, and uh, they don't care about our accent, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and the weather. Do, can you do an English English accent? Well, no, I'm not even going to try. It, it's always funny to hear them. Uh, I used to have a, uh, it's a side note, had a, uh, a colleague of mine, and, and his best uh, American accent was uh, trying to act like John Wayne. That was his, you know, oh. why you oughta, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I hope we don't was talk like good? that. No, it was not good. It was <laughs> <laughs> it was good after a few pints. Then it then oh, it turned, yes. yeah, then it was really good. So it worked out right. <laughs> so when putting together, let's talk a little bit about the the book itself and some of your other writing. What departures or what familiarities should we see? You know, your fans that are picking up this book are there uh, common threads that they're like, ah, yeah, that's Victoria, or is it more of uh, this is a total departure from some of the other things? 
You know, it's both. That's such a good question. So my first novel, Life on the Leash, focused on a dog trainer. And everyone assumed she was me because I'm a dog trainer, but she wasn't. I always joke that she's a much better dog trainer than I am and she's much nicer than I am. So the elements of dog training were really, really strong in that first novel. Whereas this one, they're definitely there. You know, her Aunt Trudy is a very gifted dog trainer, but it's not a central theme But I think the commonality between the two books is the way that I characterize dogs. You know, spending my life working with them 20 years, I feel like I have some special insights into not only the canine brain, but how they express themselves. And I hope that comes to life on the page. Absolutely. Now, what about the brains of uh, of cats and sheep in this book? (laughs) Well, cats, I'm a huge cat fan. I do not believe that there's team dog and team cat. I think we can all get along. Yes. So that was childhood cats. Unfortunately, I am married to a man who is highly allergic. So even though I keep saying like, you know, let's start with a kitten and you'll get used to it. Hasn't happened yet. So that the cats are characterized from just my, my clients that have cats and my friends that have cats. And then the sheep, that was a whole different story. That was having to do research, which I love. I was lucky enough to connect with a smallholder in England and smallholders are farmers that have like not a full farm more like a parsley farm and parcel, not parsley. And she was amazing. We did a Skype call and she answered every question I had about herding dogs because there are border collies and border collie mixes in the book. Sheep facts. I learned such incredible facts. Like, for example, sheep can sleep upside down and they look like they're dead or on their side, like they're really sound sleepers. What else did I learn about sheep? So much. I mean, a lot of it made it into the book. It's always fascinating doing the the, the research, especially when you're talking about animals, uh, learning uh, animals perhaps you don't get to spend much time with, or uh, maybe you just had some limited exposure or no exposure at all, uh, trying to learn their nuances and how you adapt that into a novel. Right. Like ear position on sheep. We all know that dogs and cats ear position means something. I had no clue that the same goes for sheep. You know, where they're pointing is indicating their mood. So. Yeah, it's fascinating, and it's one of the joys, I think, of writing is not only putting the words on the page, but also doing the research that informs you and, and you know, really brings people into the story. Absolutely. Did a good job with this. Well, we're going to take a, uh, yeah, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll come back with uh, Victoria Shea, talk to her more about her book, uh, Who Rescued Who, and then uh, we'll talk about uh, a little bit about training and how does a trainer get into writing and all that good stuff in your writing style. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. 
Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our conversation with uh, author and behaviorist, uh, dog trainer extraordinaire Victoria Shade. Uh, Talked to her about her latest book, Who Rescued Who? Now, Victoria, when everybody picks up a copy of this book and they read through it and uh, love the story, love everything about it, and uh, envision taking their uh, permanent vacation into England, mm-hmm. what do you hope they gain from it? Is there a goal or something you're wanting as a writer, or when, in particular with this book, they're hoping to you hope to accomplish? Yeah, there's a couple. I think number one, just recognize how powerful the relationship is between dog and human. You know, we I think sometimes we forget how magical that relationship is and how transformative it is. And that's that's really the core of what happens between Elizabeth and Georgina. So there's that. And then another big issue is hang up the phone. Stop thinking about getting mm-hmm. the shot. Live in the moment, you know. And I, hey, listen, I'm as guilty as the next person. I love my social media. I'm addicted. But I really think it's important that we take a step back from that and just... You know, especially like the examples that we're setting for younger people, they don't pick their heads up from their phones and it really breaks my heart. Like when I take my dogs for a walk on a sunny day and I don't see kids outside, the first thing I think is, oh God, they're inside on their phone. So yes, hang up the phone, go experience nature, love people, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, that's. I will say that, and I hope you agree with me on this as a professional trainer. My one of my. Well, let me put it this way: as I get older, I have more and more pet peeves. But mm-hmm. one of my, my biggest pet peeves is seeing someone go for a walk with their dog and they're talking on their phone <gasps> or texting on their phone when they're walking. Oh, uh, Tim. You're speaking my language. Ah, uh, drive me bonkers. Like, this is your opportunity. Like you said, that you know, your dog's there to teach you to live in the moment, enjoy the nature, stop smell the roses, uh, you know, greet your neighbor, uh, take in all the senses. And, you know, that, that's your bonding time, whether it's a five-minute walk or a long, uh, you know, journey on a trail. Uh, but when I see them on their phones and, uh, you know, texting away or talking, it's, uh, uh, yeah, that one's not a good one for me. Totally agree. It's such a missed opportunity, like you said, to bond together. And also from just from a safety perspective, like slipping into my trainer persona, you've got one sassy squirrel who darts in front and you're not paying attention and you're not holding onto that leash tightly enough and your dog could be gone. Like you need to focus on your environment when you're out there with your dog. You never know what's going to come around the corner. So there's the the bonding relationship aspect and there's also the training safety aspect you have to worry about. Absolutely, you know, and and speaking of we'll going a little bit about your your training, your experience there, you know, you're absolutely spot on. I you know I I can't tell you how many calls I get or emails I get where someone's gone on a, a trail hike with their dog, and they perhaps they've done this a, a thousand times, but this one time they take their eye off the prize, and the you know the deer runs across the path. Mm-hmm. And there he goes. He he's gone, or like you said, the infamous squirrel that that can't be resisted. And uh, being in the moment of not only even, even if you don't have your phone on, but having a your dog on lead and being aware of what's going on, enjoying yourself, but being cognizant of what's going on is very important. I would say. Well, yeah, you are your dog's advocate. So even if it's you know as minor as the kids are getting off the bus and they all want to run over and say hi to your dog. You know, you have to be able to just be aware of, of everything that's happening at all times and being on your phone does not allow for that. So yeah, absolutely. 
Real quick story. We had, uh, I have two schnauzers. One's a mini and one's a, a toy. And we still keep them on lead when we take them to parks. And we take them to various parks just to sort of mix it up and get, keep them mentally stimulated, keep them wondering which one we're going to go to next. And mm. I, I remember this one time we just had come back from our walk, getting close to our car, and somebody pulls up. They walk around the side of the car. They open their door and let their golden retriever, goofy golden mm. retriever, run out. Now, that dog was running right toward us. And, of course, we don't know the temperament of that dog. We're assuming it's friendly, but we don't know. And uh, my mini, he's not a big fan of anything. <laughs> it would just put Sounds it that like way. Me. Yeah, yeah. He's very particular uh, who he likes and what he'll put up with. It was sweet, super sweet dog, but he doesn't want a dog running at him. And yeah. meanwhile, my toy is the one she wants to greet everybody. So uh, we saw the dog running toward us. And we yelled at the uh, human companion, and she goes, oh, don't worry. He's friendly. And so I said, well, you do have to worry. Mine's not. And I've <laughs> never seen somebody run so fast and turn stark white, try to get their dog. Now, I knew nothing was going to happen. But, yeah. you know, it was one – it was sort of a wake – I was hoping she'd get a wake-up call saying, hey, not everybody's dog is friendly. Not everybody wants a pouncing dog running at them, knocking them over. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that happened to us once uh, this past year, actually, on the beach. And a dog came running over, knocked my wife over, fell on her shoulder. Human companion was, uh, you know, said, oh, I'm so sorry about that. And we said, well, you know, there's leash laws on the beach. She said, well, I'm so sorry. Well, needless to say, my wife had a torn rotator cuff (gasps) from that. So, yeah, so follow the laws, follow the rules, keep your dog on lead, but yeah, be cognizant of what's going on. That's my social commentary. (laughs) That's, I am right there with you, but holy moly, that's awful. I'm so sorry that happened. Yeah, well, these are experiences and great stories. You know, this gives you something as a writer you can write about, so it works out. (laughs) Let me get my pad and paper. I'm going to file this one away. Absolutely. So then let's talk about training and writing. Now, a lot of trainers, I know a lot of trainers, I'm good friends with a lot of uh, great trainers out there. Most of the stuff that they write about are, you know, uh, nonfiction, how to Mm -hmm. walk a dog in a leash. How do you you protect them from a crazy dog bouncing at them? How does a, a professional trainer like yourself and a behaviorist sort of shift gears and now write a novel, taking your experience, but yet uh, doing something that's a fiction? Well, first, I just want to qualify for all the true behaviorists out there. I am not actually a behaviorist by title. There's a difference. So I am a, a certified trainer, uh, CPDTKA, but not a behaviorist per se. And I think it's a really important distinction because to get that designation, you need to go through a lot of extra schooling that I haven't. So, and that's truly, this, this is probably going off in a direction you weren't anticipating, but it's a pet peeve in the dog training community too, when people claim the title and they haven't done the work to earn it. Mm -hmm. So I'm always very clear that I am just a trainer, good one, but (laughs) just a trainer. So, (laughs) but as for how I balance, it's kind of related. So I wrote two nonfiction training books. That was like my start in being published. The first one is Bonding with Your Dog, and the second is, I always get this wrong, it's my own book. It's either Secrets of a Dog Trainer or Dog Trainer Secrets. It's been like nine years. No, that one's been seven years. Anyway, in those books, my favorite part of writing those books were the stories that went along with the actual lessons, because I think it's important to entertain as well as teach. So, you know, some of the stories were kind of teased from former clients, and some were 
versions of clients that I had worked with, but no one was actually like, this is the person I worked with on the page. So they were fictionalized stories and I just really, really enjoyed that part. And then when I had to get to the nuts and bolts of, you know, this is how you teach a dog to sit. I'm like, oh, this isn't as fun. So I knew that I had the, I had the fiction bug uh, deep within me. So yeah, it just made a lot of sense for me to take that love of telling stories and turn it into a full novel. And that's how Life on the Leash came to be. There you go. One thing that, you know, it's fascinating to me because it it is two, in my opinion, two different mindsets when you write fiction and nonfiction. I, I know great writers like yourself, you know, you can do both and sort of walk that type rope. But I would say for the most part, you have great fiction writers and they're maybe moderate nonfiction writers and vice versa. I know for me, you know, everything that I typically write is nonfiction, but I take stories from it. So, you know, it's it's not uh, it's real life stories as close as I get, but trying to create a fictional character and not pull a little bit from your experience. But on the other hand, you got to keep it fresh. And like you said, mm-hmm. you know, how can you write a book based out of uh, England without having a sheep in it? So you got to know about you got to <laughs> add a sheep. You know, they're everywhere over there. Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. And you got to know about them. You got that's the research part of it. All right. So when we talk about, you know, writing the difference between nonfiction, fiction, you know, writing nonfiction is basically what you do, you know, your professionalism for the most part, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but taking a, and turning it into a novel, you got to take those bits, but on the other hand, you got to add some new elements in there. You've got to make the characters interesting. And you've also got to add some new characters in there. Like you said, with the sheep, they're everywhere in England. So you've got to add them to the novel. But yet, like you said, uh, I'm sure you were not a sheep expert until you've had your uh, consultation from the expert uh, to learn about the sheep. Definitely still not an expert, but I am 100% an enthusiast. All right. So when uh, everybody goes out and picks up a book uh, for Who Rescued Who by Victoria Shade, where can they get the book? Uh, Where can they track what's going on with you and all your social media presence and uh, find out maybe they can sneak an appearance, uh, get a chance to meet you in person? Oh, I would love that. So this is my favorite question, I think. You can find me everywhere. So Facebook is Victoria Shade Author. And Shade is S-C-H-A-D-E. Instagram is Victoria underscore Shade. And there are lots and lots and lots of cute dog pictures and a fair amount of sheep pictures these days. Twitter is just Victoria Shade. And am I missing anything? Oh, as far as where can you buy Who Rescued Who? Happily, pretty much anywhere. So my suggestion is always to go to your local independent bookseller because it's so important to support them. If they don't have it on their shelves, you can ask them to order it and they'll get it in for you. You can go to an online giant bookseller if that's your preference. And yeah, and oh, library too. I love libraries and librarians, so you can pick it up there as well. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Yeah, my uh, quick side story, my latest book that came out, uh, Talking with Dogs and Cats, it's been out for a few years now. And uh, my sister happened to be at a health clinic, and she sat down beside this lady. And uh, mm. lo and behold, she was sitting there reading my book. And <laughs> so she dreamed. I know, it isn't that, it's so funny. I've had that happen before. It's happened on, a, on airplanes and in various places. Oh. You know, but uh, yeah, that's that's always, and you take a double look, it's like, oh my God. And then, of course, you have to quiz them and hope to God they say, yeah, I'm really enjoying this, not, right. and this guy has no clue what he's talking about. <laughs> that would be awkward. It would be. 
<laughs> All right. Well, everybody go out and pick up a copy of the book. We'll get to uh, post it online where you can find out uh, more about Victoria Shade and follow her and all of her wonderful social media activities. Maybe get a chance to meet her. Uh, the books are available uh, all over the place. So make sure you get a copy. Get a copy for your friends. It's uh, Who Rescued Who by Victoria Shade. Victoria, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you and seeing uh, some more of your books and writing as we move forward. Thank you so much, Tim. This was a blast. Thank you. Well, we're uh, coming to end the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the sponsors and the producers for making this show possible. Uh, if you have any ideas, questions, or comments for me or for the show, please uh, check us out at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can email us there and ask uh, your questions and bring on the people you want to hear from most. And while you're there, check out all the other wonderful shows and uh, hosts that are on Pet Life Radio. That's at PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life in a book, a blog, a magazine, get it out there. Who knows? Maybe the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.